Yo, 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 yo. Welcome to the Mock Stars podcast, everybody. I am one of your hosts, Jordan Garcia. I am joined by two of my esteemed colleagues and good friends, Evan Kunai. What it do? Christopher Ritter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're not going back. We're not going back. He's straight, here. Straight through. <laughs> Christopher Ritter. I thought better of what I was going to go. <laughs> All right, guys, our main topic today is going to be another uh, deck workshop. These fun little like deck techs that we pitch to the table. We kind of do some feedback. We kind of do a little deep dive on some of the deck builders processes, especially after we've gotten some play testing with it. Uh, really cool stuff. We're doing Evan's Zakama list right before we go to this tourney. Last week, we talked about my Malcolm list. Really stoked about it. Before we get into it, though, we got a little intro topic I would love to discuss. We either Ritter actually pitched it right before. Uh, we started recording here. Very interesting topic. Um, house Look, rules. Before we get into that, you can find us on TikTok, Twitter. Um, oh, yeah. All of our social media things. You can find those in the description link below. Tree link tree down below, baby. Like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. Uh, send us money. We don't have a Patreon. Just send us money. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you could drag us down. Yeah. My passwords aren't that secure. We make sandwiches. Okay. Um, well, moving on to our intro topic that I got, I just jumped the gun. I was so eager to talk about it. Uh, how hey, did rules? we mention our socials? I'm, I'm kidding. I think we did. Keep I think going. we did. Yeah. Run it back one more time. Uh, house rules, guys. Uh, Ritter brought this up. Do you want to kind of talk about how this kind of came up? I think it's a really interesting topic. Yeah. Uh, so I was browsing Reddit and pretty much every day on Reddit, uh, you will see someone posting about a experience playing Magic the Gathering that I'm not really familiar with uh, because I have played in kind of like big city environments, uh, thankfully, mm -hmm. where we have a diverse array of gaming shops to attend and find playgroups of uh, any power level. But if you're stuck in a smaller town with less options or in a smaller city, uh, again, with less options, and you have, uh, you know, you're stuck with a playgroup that you have, apparently... You get stuck with some bullshit house rules this playing this game. I've never like yeah. considered this before. I've seen it a few times on Reddit, and it's like it is pretty common that the story pops up, like um, banning just like certain lines of strategy, things that like, I, and like in our environment, and like now when we go out, there's there's tons of people. We show up at like Commander Night every you know like every week, and there's like forty to fifty people playing. And now if we had a house rules list. That would exclude so many people. You would, you actually would have a much smaller gathering if there were house rules. Kind of the polar place. opposite of this format conceptually, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So like inclusion and like casual and whatnot. And so, um, yeah, I've seen some lists that are like absolutely insane. Like you see, you know, the common things you see are banning infinite combos, uh, limiting storm. Uh, limiting the use of certain stacks pieces or counterspell pieces or types of interaction. Um, there's a lot of different lines that you can go down in terms of house rules. A lot of it does seem to come, though, just the owner of the shop or, you know, the predominant pod that plays there. Just the things they don't like. The things they don't yeah, like so, losing so to. Arbitrary. Or, or, yeah, it, you know, it doesn't seem geared necessarily towards a better play environment for everyone but a preferred play environment for the people in charge of making the house rules. Right. Yeah, it, it really does, like, make you commit. Like, you're sitting at the table, and the reason for infinite loops and, like, refined strategies is that 
the pe- people at the table aren't sitting there for hours and hours on end just stuck in this slog of a like beat down in a commander game. Yeah, we've like, learned that we like that. We like a deck that can win the game. Yeah, we like a deck that and can win the game fairly out of nowhere. It just kind of ends the game. We all look at each other, shuffle up, and keep it going. But like with a set of house rules that says no infinite combos, nothing like that, they're basically saying you're committed to three hours yeah. at least. Yeah, Ritter's saying you're, you're going to spend a bunch of money while you're here. Yeah, you were saying like uh, like Storm can't go past one was one of the house rules you saw, which is insane to me. Like you can't even like value yeah, play I, a thing and like not even like you're winning or anything like that. What I, I don't know how the decks that do get played, how they intend to close out games. Is it just you have just to go wide? With an like it's, it's all com- they want just combat based. Yeah. I'm guessing as as Richard Garfield intended, right? But like, I'm guessing Sprouting Vines just exploded <laughs> in one game, and they were just like, "Nah, none no, of that." I mean, it, it's literally a lot of the you know you see people playing out their trauma in real life and at the magic table, yeah. and it's just like this happened to me once. I yep. never want to experience it again. It felt bad to lose. Winterboard banned. Yeah. Okay, so, well, we're not going to sit in our play group and ban Mana Barbs, even though we've seen it in Gears and Karn a few times. No, we're just going to knock Jordan out of the <laughs> game. <laughs> this is how you play Magic. Yeah. <laughs> just, uh, it, it just seems like crazy to me that like uh, there aren't even smallest. The thing is, when a house rules, when when a set of house rules becomes established, the list may start small, but it's going to grow rapidly, and it just it exponentially grows the more the game grows. Because it's arbitrary. It doesn't yes. follow a linear set of circumstances that you can be like, well, if this is this and this is this, it's just, I don't like these things. I don't like losing mm-hmm. these things. I'm a big baby. Change my diapers. You know, whatever, <laughs> yeah. you know. It also makes like those play groups and like those stores and everything feel way more insular, like way yes. harder from an outsider yes. perspective to come in and kind of find a new game, a new pod and stuff like that. It's and like Arguably, the point of Commander is is social yeah like there's the competitive thing even you know even at the competitive level the core of it is social it's a four-player 100%. game you're going to hang out for a while you're going to meet some new people interact with some new people and hopefully if you're the type of person that likes to grow and change get some new experiences that may involve you losing the game yeah which is fine i mean like i in competitive commander i think it's way more social still compared to like a competitive 1v1 situation i pr- i prefer to lose in a learning environment than win by pub stomping 100 percent. you know you didn't, you didn't get anything out of that what's can the fun you, in that can you just imagine bringing a friend from out of town like they're visiting and they're saying hey let's go out and play some magic oh yeah i'll show you my lgs like we'll we'll go there i have a great time every single week and you show up as just like this new person you catch eyes from across the room and then they're like you can can't play that card what do you mean it's not even banned no you just can't play that card check the house rules yeah and then you instantly feel alienated and then people are just like staring at you breathing down your neck like it's bad, i feel like bad it's, vibes. yeah it's feel bad, bad vibes real feel bad situation yeah uh i am not a fan of house rules you guys can you guys think of any house rules that would be like rules i mean any like, I would say, you know, this is more of a Dungeons and Dragons thing, but it applies to magic. The rule of cool. Anything yeah. that makes the game more fun, makes it more cool, makes the whatever aspects you're enjoying about the experience better. Like, you know, rule zeroing a non-legendary commander can be a commander. Right. Just because this, you know, this creature should be legendary or just has a cool build around effect yeah. that you want in the command zone. Like Still a thing are, better discussed at the table than yeah, like, exactly. as like a set preset rules this is, this is i mean but i'm saying just things that will expand the experience rather than limiting the experience correct yeah I you know you. it was pretty cool back i mean what before lockdown like 2019 i remember going over to mox boarding house here in seattle and checking out 
like commander night there and i was like oh do you guys do commander night on other nights and they're like well we do it on tuesdays and we do it on thursdays and i was like oh snap i'll stop by and play on thursday then too and i showed up and i just pulled out like a normal deck and i sat down and then they went oh uh we actually don't play like full budget decks on thursdays we only play two edh which is like a $50 limit on your deck. Every card has to be $2 or less according to Card Kingdom. And they have their own like house set of rules. Now, had I like known about that, I love that like creative deck building like mm-hmm. thing. And if it's a known commodity and you're like creating a format around the deck building process to like have a set of house rules around, I'm all for yeah. it. Because that evens the playing field. That it doesn't does, it yes. doesn't get rid of certain strategies, does it doesn't say you can't play this type of deck. It just says Anyone with access to fifty dollars worth of cards can play tonight instead of having to sit down with a you know two thousand dollar deck. Right. Yeah, and I sat down there, and they're just like, "You can just go pick up a precon. Just go get a precon. Come on, come on back and like sit down and play." And that's exactly what I did. I can't remember what time, like what era that was around twenty eighteen. It might have been just right around the release of twenty nineteen. Mm-hmm. Um, those decks. So I uh, I think I bought the Dockside deck and my deck was immediately over the $50 limit. So they were all pretty chilled. I wasn't like trying to break the game. Yeah, I mean, it was a terrible deck. So yeah, it's it not like you were getting away with doing anything. All right. I think that was a great uh, intro topic and uh, house rules suck. Don't do them. Talk to your table and uh, discuss from there. Just stop it. If you are an LGS listening to this or you go to an LGS that has house rules, like, I don't know, sign a petition or yeah. something. It just sucks for everybody involved. Play online. Or find a better LGS. Yeah, yeah like I, I know sometimes there's not options yeah. uh, in terms of like finding a physical LGS and you prefer that experience. But Discord I mean, go, go on Discord, Discord, go on Spell Table. Just we get you know, so many games online. Yeah, there are a lot. Just happening. jam games with people that share uh, share the experience that you want to have in the game. Yeah, you know, if you guys have different perspectives, different opinions, put them down below. I'd love to hear if you like or what's some like crazy rules that you've seen at game stores that you also think are ridiculous. Or if you've seen some rules that really um, expand the fun you can have playing Commander. What yeah. are the fun house rules? Also I'm interested episode. to hear yeah. what you have. Sell yeah. me on it. Um, all right. Well, let's get to the main topic. Evan, we're doing a workshop on Zakama. Time to get out my soapbox, guys. Let's do it. Can we uh, run that back with a little more energy? Actually, I, I we're feel starting like the whole episode. It's already. not going to pop. I didn't want you to actually do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, we're in it. We're talking about Zakama today. And this is a deck that I babied like from, uh, gosh, like 2018. I built this like crazy Naya, like big mana nonsense deck. And it was just like. Is, is that the version that you have on Call Me Commander? It is, yeah. Yeah, okay. go check out that so, uh, yeah, episode. Search, the, search that out. You can get a different perspective on this deck Good shot later on. Oddly yeah. sexual, so be prepared. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> it's uh, on it brand. A, yes, it's very uncomfortable, but it uh, it's a fun deck to play. Like if you're playing casually, Zakama is just this great outlet in the command zone. And when you're, you know, throwing mana doublers in there for everybody at the table, kind of creating this group hug type thing, it's always in your favor, obviously. But it's uh, it's been a fun deck to just like refine and build, and it's always been a threat. I think if you see Zakama in the command zone, you immediately there's going to be like some sort of yeah, like infinite loop or combo line or something like that. But that it wasn't that for a long time. It was just creating a ton of mana so I could untap my lands, activate those abilities, and cast a lot bigger creatures like Aurelia and uh, what? Uh, yeah, just just big, real big stuff. Next Bloom Ancient. Yeah, Next Bloom Ancient. I, I had a competitive build for a long time that was uh, 
focused around Nyx Bloom Ancient. But uh, this set, and that was the deck I actually took to Marchesa too, was the Nyx Bloom Ancient variant, uh, playing a lot of heavy stacks. But this updated deck, this is the one I'm taking to a tournament in Olympia, Washington in about two weeks' time. Much leaner. Much leaner. I think I've learned my lesson and just started refining and taking, like cutting away the fat. I think that's been a, a big uh, point in growth as a player is like knowing what to cut away, what is a fun card, what is, um, you know, an efficient line, what is, yeah, not helping me get to the, like, get to the, my win conditions. Mm -hmm. So uh, this build is, uh, I would say, hyper refined and it focuses around food chain. Because I don't know why I didn't think about that before. I've always had this, like, when I built the stacks variant, I, I focused heavily on enchantments because that's how I was building my mana base. I wanted to focus on killing off artifacts because I'd played against Jordan for so long that I'd sort of, like, I don't know, assumed that I was going to run into Grixis nonsense or a lot of, like, um, decks that were going to abuse, like, the most expensive cards in the game, like a Mox Diamond or a Mana Crypt or Mana Vault. Like, those artifact ramp pieces were what I was dreading the most. So I built a stacks heavy deck around like Stony Silence and Collector Oof and creature based stuff. Um, but then I also put in like lands that had more value to them. So like Gaia's Cradle and Sarah Sanctum to benefit from the amount of stacks I'm putting out, generate more mana so my lands mean more. And that way I can cast a comma. When it hits the board, I control the field. But it, it, that variant of the deck, I just kept tripping over my own feet and like getting in my own way. like putting evolution lines in the deck so I could get Nyx Bloom Ancient out and uh, eventually go infinite. It was known as the Nonbo deck for a few for a few yeah, for weeks to months. Just ironing <laughs> out the details, just running into Nonbo after Nonbo. It was pretty funny. It right? was like, like uh, you wouldn't see it until it was like on the stack. You're like, oh. It's like, oh, I'll cast you short. Oh. <laughs> you know, like, I'll cast you, you were You were an effective uh, stacks deck against your own deck. It's true. Yes, yes, yeah. it, it was. It was like trying to, like we talked about in our one of our previous episodes, we talked about stacks and how it props up unconventional strategies to like, um, you have to be able to thread the needle. You have to be able to create a s stacksy environment that isn't going to like slow you down at all. And this whole deck was just general stacks, so it just it, it, it didn't just really stopped everything. Yeah, it stopped everything, including myself. So you took a pivot, and you pivoted. You said to a food chain line because the comma allows you to filter all of that mana into your land mana. Yeah, once we talked about fantastic. food chain, it wasn't until Rocco released in New Capenna that I realized yeah, that's right. I realized that like this could be a food chain deck. Cuz you took a second, you took like a week or two and were like, "All right, I'm going to play Rocco instead of Zakama because it seems like kind of the obvious upgrade." Yeah. I but, and then then food chain made sense, like almost too much sense in Rocco. Yeah. And I took that deck home with me. Like uh, when I first built Rocco, and I had already played at Marchesa, my pod back home in Wisconsin, uh, we had played a couple rounds together. And that the Rocco deck, let me tell you, there's a reason why it sits at the final table a lot because it is a two card combo machine. It just it just filters out like whatever you need, and it finds what piece you need, and it goes for the kill. Uh, I played a few times and just won on turn two, like three or four times, and then I was just like, "This is really good." That's and then good. yeah, hitting. well, I will say that Rocco. You can just any Naya deck. You can just slot that in as the commander and just be like, "Well, this is it's, it's good. Yeah, it's good <laughs> yeah. Now. yeah. yeah. Uh, any combo lines you might have that are creature based, Rocco is. I mean, I the, do think he might be the best. Oh yeah, Naya it's commander. It but, is better than Zakama. But his function for you personally was like opening your eyes to what the deck can be. Yeah, my third eye opened when I realized that I could use food chain on Zakama. It's funny and, that you just switch the commander, add food chain, and then you switch the commander right back. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like, no, oh, it is a pretty efficient <laughs> line. I wonder if it works with Zakama. It does. Hey, spoiler alert, it does because Zakama acts as this 
uh, prism, when you're like shooting light through a prism and it expands into all these colors, like that's what Sakama is doing. You're taking all of that food chain mana that you're generating infinitely with Squee, and now you're taking it and you're infinitely casting Sakama. And as long as your lands can generate one of each color, so like red, green, and white, you can now have infinite mana that is not restricted to just casting creature spells so and and you know how this actually plays out is most of the time uh you're going to land sakama generate infinite mana and then you know use the red ability to deal three damage to target creature clear the board of creatures use the green ability to destroy target artifact or enchantment clear your opponent's board of artifacts and enchantments and the line you typically don't pursue because you don't need it at that point is to use the white effect to gain infinite life. It's funny that that one actually carries more importance. Like, I'm actually looking at it like, I just want to put the Grand Abolisher out and then gain infinite life and draw my whole fucking library with War Room. So, like, generate infinite life. So yeah, that I War can Room just, is like, a great, great outlet there. Yeah, so there are a few lands in this. So, like, when you think about, like, how important are the lands? The comma cares heavily about the lands. And so Food Chain can generate that infinite mana for me to, like, cast Sakama and bounce these lands and untap them infinitely, like, what kind of, like, land package can I run that's just going to help me win the game? And right. War Room just, like, screams out, because you just, like, cast a comma a bunch, you gain infinite life, and then it doesn't matter how much you pay. It just keeps untapping, and you keep drawing cards until you hit Blind Obedience, and then you just cast a comma infinitely using the extra mana to extort everyone to death. Well, notably... Um Zakama, well, really good and does work with Food Chain, does still not win you the game. So you still need that Correct. third piece, that outlet, and that's what you're talking about. Great. It is great. Like, even if you don't have it, cast Zakama with infinite mana and just nuke the board. It, if yeah. you get to the point of infinite mana, you're fine. Yeah, you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> yeah. Just choose, just choose how you want to end the game at yeah. that point. Right. Like, Zakama exactly. essentially reads destroy all non land permanents your opponents control, gain infinite life, and then I'll just swing with a 9 9 worst case scenario. Um, but yeah, now you are playing all these lands that give you these awesome little outlets, war room, like you said, like infinitely untapping it, yeah. paying, paying the life, enclave. gaining the life. Yeah, Bonders Enclave. Den of the Bugbear is my fa favorite. Yeah. It's so cool. I had no idea until you told me about that. Yeah, so Den of the Bugbear is definitely like the win condition I'm still waiting to uh, achieve because it is like so nasty because it just says pay three in a red and then uh, Den of the Bugbear becomes a creature that uh, has whenever it attacks, it creates a goblin. Let me just get like the accurate text here. Until end of turn, Den of the Bugbear becomes a 3-2 red goblin creature with whenever this creature attacks, create a 1-1 one, one red goblin creature token that's tapped and attacking. It's still land. Yeah, so... Uh, Thank you. <laughs> uh, you can feed infinite mana into Den of the Bugbear, and then the like that creature, that goblin, gains infinite instances of when it attacks, create a 1-1 one, one red goblin creature token that's tapped and attacking. Mm -hmm. And so when you finally declare it as an attacker, you're going to create infinite 1-1 one, one, uh, red goblin creature tokens and just point them all at every like every other player. I can't wait to bounce that land back to your hand before you yeah, attack. I, that's yeah, well, that's, that's amazing. Why I'm hoping that I can just <laughs> draw my whole freaking library and then... Uh, You'll put still out have the combo with infinite mana, but yeah, put out the grand abolisher or something, and yeah. you know, like there's there's a lot of, I mean, that's the biggest issue I ran into at Marchesa was that even though the deck tripped over its own feet a lot, there were times when I had the opportunity to win the game. It's just that this deck loses on the stack, so you have to have the right cards in your hand at the right time in order to like really establish any sort of it you want that grand abolisher to do work in this deck yeah it does i, I mean yes. I, I almost feel like if you're saying you know this deck dies on the stack 
you also need dosing of the falling leaf in there at that point. I've thought about it. Like I've thought about putting it ha- in have there. a little redundancy. Yeah, it's just uh I it's it's such a hard trigger to pull because it's uh not just one sided like abolisher is. Like dosin just basically if I'm not able to win the game when I play dosin, then it allows somebody else to win the game. So I don't True. I don't True. have the ability to like interact with them beyond a certain point of like activating abilities, in which case if I've cast a comma and I've destroyed all non-land permanents and they have Dosin on the field, I'm I'm kind of just welcoming the defeat. Like I, I really just kind of open my arms and say, beat me. Yeah, like in my head, if I'm going after you playing my Malcolm deck and I see that come down, my plan is, all right, burn the interaction I have now. So it stops you from winning that turn after that resolves. You have to pass the turn, and then I win with protection. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we just saw it this last week. We played on uh, the play-to-win server, and we went into a game, and uh, like plenty of people were excited to like see Zakama in this like at this high a, like power level, and a few people asked for the list. But at the end of the day, when it came down to winning the game, I lost to a mana drain. It was just not having, like, Jordan tried to force a Wills of Combo when I hard cast it just for value, and I had to use my Red Elemental Blast. I should have just let him force a Will it because after that Red Ellie Blast resolved, the guy mana drained me and yeah. then went into his next turn and uh, ISO revved for the win. And, it like, it was just, like, it was just so sad it's to see. It a juicy target for a mana yeah. drain. Because he went into his upkeep, and he's like, I'm going to cast an Enlightened Tutor, and I had an Esper Sentinel, and I was like, are you going to pay for that? And he's like, no, you can have a card. You gave me nine mana. You can have the card. And I was like, it's a fair yeah. exchange. Yeah, that is fair. Uh, and two, at that level, you know, it, the kind of the thing that you ran into is if you're prepared to win and you don't win right there, everyone else knows now. Okay, it's my turn Here to comes. win. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to go now. Yep. It, it, yeah, it does. It does scream that. Like, if you're able to like interact at that certain point and just say like, um, if he gets this untapped trigger, then he probably wins. So yeah. I'm just yeah. gonna like stick my finger in there and stop it. Your uh, giant dinosaur 9-9 nine, nine infinite mana is not subtle. Right. It is yeah. not a subtle. No, it's very stomp, 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 stomp. So, I mean, but, like, so I've included cards in the deck to, like, help with that. You know, static pieces, I think we talked, as far as, like, stacks pieces go, you definitely want to be, um, yeah, threading the needle here. So, like, Allosaurus Shepherd just kind of protects that, but, you know, it, it is fragile in its own right, but, you know, like, a lot of people aren't playing widespread creature removal, and so I can build this, like, valuable board that's just kind of allowing me to, to go off and letting and kind of holding other people back. That is one thing I like uh, seeing this deck in action, is that you do build a board state on your way to your combo. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I... I I would say that generally my, my best matchups are mid-range decks. Decks that also want to get to the mid-game because I'm pretty confident that whatever value they're establishing on their board, I can dismantle that or I can like at least establish something because when people look at this, the only place they really know to like stick their finger in is to stop Zakama. And there's a lot of other like outlets in the deck to... Um, catch people by surprise it's a very interactive deck yeah you know it's it's and you know you need that because you're not faster than any other combo deck but you know you're more interactive right yeah i'm i'm definitely focused heavily on removal which is why like dose in the fallen leaf doesn't necessarily gain a slot here is because i've had to like include a lot of tutors refinement like you have to be able to like boil everything down to getting the lands you need so like that's why I'm playing uh, Elvish Reclaimer. I'm playing Weathered Wayfarer uh, because their abilities allow me to highlight the most important part of Z- what Zakama cares about, which is uh, the quality of your land. Mm-hmm. So if I can use 
uh, like Elvish Reclaimer to sacrifice, uh, I don't know, just like a duel for a guy's cradle, like I'm, I'm fine with that. Like that's, that's something that like I'm totally worth doing because I'm generating positive, I'm positively generating mana by getting a land that's going to tap for like three or four. And like same with like Sarah's Sanctum. While there are still a ton of enchantment creatures in this deck, like I'm playing uh, Destiny Spinner, Sanctum Weaver. You have almost Idolon 20 enchantments. Yeah. 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 I think there's. 21 or 22 yeah so wow. uh, that's including a lot of my ramp so when i'm focused on that and uh, using that to like generate mana and using like the land filtering so that i can like get that i'm also playing sylvan scrying it's like these colors don't have a lot of tutors if i'm being honest like you have very specific tutors you can play gamble and that's great for going to get squee because it doesn't matter where squee goes after you tutor it uh, you can play Enlightened Tutor. You can go get an enchantment, like something like Food Chain, and like set that on top of your library. But then you're telegraphing your moves. Crop Rotation. I, I'm pretty sure that every green deck yeah. that's playing at a high level should be playing Crop Rotation. Yeah, you have a, so you have several cards on top of that that care about lands. You're running Land Tax. You're running uh, what was the other one? Burgeoning. Yeah, you're running Crop Rotation. So you're talking about getting like those like high quality lands on top of that. Yeah. Yep. So we have a land package in here. Yeah, it's it's interesting. You have a land package, an enchantment package. Like uh, you have various packages package. on the way to your ultimate goal. Yeah, it's it's uh, definitely a house of cards. Like the everything that I've thought about for this deck matters, and the, maybe the one thing that doesn't matter the most is probably the artifacts. Because if you look at the artifact, it's just very basic good stuff. You you're know? you're playing the six mandatory rocks at this level. Yes, I am. Pretty much. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I'm not playing, like, Mox Diamond to, like, discard a land, even though my land count is a lot higher than a lot of these decks that are sitting at sitting at this power level. Yeah, too. you got 32 lands in there where most of these yeah. decks you're going to be, I don't know, 27 and 29. I would yeah. say I do yeah. think that Mox Diamond is better than Chrome Mox in this slide, even though you like lands better. Well, it's funny that I'm just kind of, like, testing it out, and I don't know if it's, like, flavorful or if it's just, like, but I can actually exile Squee or... Um, <laughs> Exile Squee or Eternal Scourge with Chrome Mox. With the Chrome Mox. Uh, so I can tap for a red while Squee is just sitting underneath it. And that's like a I mean, very, like. It's cute. It's very it's very cute and it's very circumstantial, but it's happened. It, you'll do you it know, sometime. It'll happen sometimes. It'll happen at some point. You know, if I exile the Eternal Scourge, the thing is, it doesn't tap for a colorless. It taps for nothing. Yeah. So it just becomes a dead rock on the field I mean, for zero. Yeah, I'm not trying to convince you away from Chrome Mox. If anything, I think you could just fit a Mox Diamond on top of it if you can find slot on your list. My thought being with such a high land count that. If you, the odds of you having an opening turn Mox Diamond with at least two lands is really good, allowing you to get that second color pip on turn one instead of waiting for turn two. That's true. I mean, it allows for a turn one Draneth to like slow the board down, or it allows for a turn one Abolisher or to something. To me, it feels you know, like, like a second five-color land drop on turn one, like pretty yeah. much every time I play. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, unfortunately, the tournament we're going to is a uh, non-proxy. Yeah, fair enough, so. fair enough. Fair enough. It's yeah. an expensive card. Yeah, it's an expensive card. card. There, there's like a $750 difference between the two cards we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, so. Yes. <laughs> so one day, one day when I just flip and turn my collection now that Wizards doesn't care about printing fake cards, um, I'll just flip all my real cards and go for the big stuff. But Getting political. Uh, well, it's just, just my game plan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I mean, it's EDH. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's whatever. I have one real deck that I can take to tournaments. That's and proxies super high power. Yeah, great. we're gonna have, we'll have a whole whole episode about proxies. Actually, we should have that. Yeah, uh, we have a lot to talk about there. Uh, so, what are you're talking about dancing around your stacks? So having stacks that mm -hmm. kind of like doesn't slow you down. So, what are your key pieces? What are you targeting? What are you making sure you get out early? You have you you have in your opening hand. 
what allows you to like go off. Ooh. Notably, let me chime in right before you go. The thing I love about food chain combo is with stacks is that you can just exile the creatures that are stacking out the board, and then yeah. the turn you're planning on winning. Yeah, either like when a starting hand like comes around, I'm looking for. I don't know, three to four mana to like in the first turn or two. And then, uh, yeah, like a stacks piece that's going to allow me to slow the board down, either an Eidolon or Rhetoric or uh, Archon of Maria being the best, or I'm looking for card advantage, like a Ragavan or an Esper Sentinel. Um, I don't think I've kept a hand with like an Elvish Reclaimer, like as the first, even if I have a fetch in hand, I don't, I don't see it like being like that opening Hand. It's not a great turn one. Yeah, it's not a great turn one. But I'll keep like a tutor or something like that with, uh, let's say, like two or three mana available. Uh, there was, um, you know, just like you run test hands. Like when you're when you're trying to play competitively, you run hundreds of test hands just through Moxfield or just playing just like playing games. Um, but there have been a couple times where I've just like turned two to the devoted druid and hit it with a swift reconfiguration for infinite green mana, <laughs> and mm -hmm. it's it's been pretty sweet. So, like, I, I'm looking for those things. Like, it happens more often than you'd think, and um, it doesn't. It's not as circumstantial. Um, but yeah, that's what I'm looking for. And I, I guess, uh, yeah, Elder Spirit Guide or something like that. Um, all right. Well, this is a workshop, so you know we're we're pitching cards, we're we're asking you questions and stuff like that. So I, I said that your deck could probably benefit from having a Mox Diamond in here. And yes, we're talking about you can't have proxies for this tournament. I know what card but you're attacking right now. I think it's a direct upgrade to this, 100%. I have no idea why you're still playing Nature's Lore in this deck. You used to play it when it was a casual deck, and this is the one card that has remained the same. I have that, the that is a pet card copy. for you. I have the secret layer copy. Get off my back. Uh, but yeah, if that was a Mox Diamond, <laughs> and then you just get to discard like your third land in hand. That's actually a pretty fair point. I could probably get rid of Nature's Lore for a Mox Diamond. Yeah, and your curve is just, it gets so much better. It lets you cast that Sylvan Scrying, turn one. Like It just turns on a lot for you. Yeah, it just Mox Diamond doesn't untap when Zakama hits the field. No, I know, I know, but you know, I feel like the lands have become less and less pertinent once you switched over to Food Chain. You still need, yeah, them. I'm still you playing. Still need them, but yeah, I'm still. You're it's right. Not as much. You're right. I'm still like playing. Um, I'm still playing a high number of lands, so like it does make sense to like take out the Nature's Lore for a food or for the Mox Diamond because it essentially is the same thing, just far more efficient and far faster. Um, so I, I probably like in the future when I'm looking to like upgrade the stack, trade in and, and upgrade for that, that I, that's what I would do. Yeah. Um, also in just a, a little side note, like this deck isn't just like hyper refined and focused to like accomplishing food chain squee or scourge or whatever. Um, I'm also playing Heliod cause it's an enchantment creature and, uh, kind of like, uh, pushes forward that game plan with uh, generating mana. And then I also have Walking Ballista in there. So I have that option, especially with Food Chain. Walking Ballista just is the game. Actually, that brings me to a point. Uh, you have Shared Summons in this deck, which is a five-mana tutor. Let's yeah. you look for two creature cards with different names. Is that... Uh, well, I have a question about tech. Mm -hmm. uh, why is this in this deck over something like Sylvan Tutor that you can play at one? And grab one creature is the additional four mana just so you can grab uh, Squeen Eternal Scourge at the same time, grab Ballista Heliod at the same time. Is yeah. is that the the thinking there? It is, yeah. It, okay. It's like it's in there for the instant speed interaction so that I can like dance on the stack like too. It's like something that this deck sorely misses. I often oftentimes just can't like wait for my turn to come around to like be doing things so that I can hold up mana. Now 
uh, it does make me immediately regret not writing, uh, running endurance because if I'm playing mm, that and I'm like, speed. yeah, instant speed, like, and you can get creatures. the card to pitch it if you exactly. need it. Exactly. Yeah, well, that's so pretty good. It is like a five mana endurance that I could potentially squeak in there. That yeah, like yeah. I mean, mind. that's pretty good. Um, I do think we've talked about how kind of underrated that card is. It's like an instant speed tutor for two creatures, which is really good. You do run multiple A plus B combos that are all creature based. So that yeah. is also a good argument for it. I also like the fact that. A lot of the time, you'll probably have an A or a B piece without the alternative. And then if that's the case, then you cast Sherrod's Diamonds getting an Allosaurus Shepherd or a Grand Abolisher, and then you get the other piece. Yeah. And then you just resolve one after the other and just win the game. Yeah. So you, it gives you a lot of that flexibility, and like it almost gives you that kind of intuition effect in, in blue. Right. But you get to play a Sans Blue. Yeah. I mean, this deck relies on... Uh, when you're not like, that's why I had to like squeak more tutors in there, is because the deck either otherwise would just be running on luck. Mm -hmm. So I, I teed you up for this next card so oh. you could talk about it. Sure. Oh, this intuition yeah. concept. Ooh. Ooh. I know you want to talk about it. Yes. Go hit ahead. Him. Yeah, hit me with okay. it. What is right. what's the card, Jordan? I thought you would like to you'd like to educate the people. The card is uh, ecological. Oh, stop, 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 stop. The card is ecological. The card is ecological appreciation. Guys, shut up. The <laughs> card is ecological appreciation. <laughs> Guys, have you heard of this card called ecological appreciation? It's uh, X tuna green for the sorcery that I told Evan about multiple weeks before he put it in his deck, and now he claims that it's his card. Nah, so he uh, he told me about it and how it was like popping up in more lists, and then I immediately went on Card Kingdom and saw that they were five dollar borderless foils. Just bought them all, and I bought them all. Uh, so it says, search your library and graveyard, love to see that, for up to four creature cards with different names that each have mana value X or less and reveal them. An opponent chooses two of those cards, shuffle those cards into your library and put the rest onto the battlefield, then you exile ecological appreciation. Yeah, I absolutely love this in here. And it like it definitely found a home because it allows me to create, you know, intuition style stacks at a certain amount of mana. So my highest mana value is four, and there's only one creature that has that, and it's Academy Rector. So oftentimes I'm not really pushing it to four unless I have infinite mana, in which case I'm gonna create a stack that you are gonna give me exactly what I want. Um, but even at one mana, if X is one, the value on this is just crazy because then I can search for Esper Sentinel, Ragavan, a Birds of Paradise, or even that Elvish Reclaimer that's going to like help me tutor for the lands that I need to win the game. One of the Different best plays you can make in Magic is forcing your opponent to make a bad choice. Yes. And this card does it. Yep. You know? It's it's really good. It's, it's all, things. I mean, it, it's a pure win for you and it's a pure loss for your opponent. The, you know, yeah. that's Candyland right there. Yeah, and even if you pump it up to two, then you start looking at some really good lines. Oh my god, it's scary. Like, Destiny Spinner, Devoted Druid, Draneth Magistrate, Dockside. That's four two drops right there. Like, which two do you get? Yeah, and then, uh, yeah. Grand Abolisher. Not Sanctum Weaver. Sanctum yeah. Weaver. So you can just, you can sort of like play out and bait people. So if you're looking at this, like, and you're, I guess, sitting across the table from this deck and someone fires, and, and I fire this off at X's 2, and I put a Devoted Druid, a Grand Abolisher, a Dockside, and a Dranith. You can also, there. you can get two and below, right? So you could also, yeah. get, you could do like Allosaurus Shepherd, Esper Sentinel, Dranith, Devoted Druid, knowing you have like a Swift Recon in hand or something yeah, like that. Yeah, exactly. You're just threatening Terrible that. options. Yeah, you're threatening that so that they don't pick the Devoted Druid. Yeah. Yeah, and so it just... You're like, okay, but it's going to be awful for you anyway. Yeah, exactly. So you, you basically, you can feign out these like combo lines that people are just going to have to walk into giving you the value on the other side. So yeah, if you can if you can bait out like a Devoted Druid um, and then somehow get the Dock side to like enter the battlefield after that. Yeah, make them defend against the wrong play. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Um, but and then you go up to three, and then all of a sudden you're looking at 
uh, setting up some some really tasty like food chain lines because then you can you can pull Squee out of the deck, you can pull Eternal Scourge out of the deck, and now the downside of ecological appreciation is that you can that whatever they don't choose gets shuffled back into the library, and so it's possible to like lose those options. So you have to create situations where they're going to give you uh, one or both of those options, um, and that's why. Ultimately, why I love this card. Even if you take it to four, you you pull the Academy Rector. That's probably going to be one of them. And four then, and below, so it's just get. I think yeah. you cap out at four, right? So it's just yeah. the four cards you want out of the deck. Exactly, so and you then can pay seven mana and give them you know bad options. Yep, create choices that are not in any way in their favor. Love the idea of grabbing a Ranger Captain out of there because that's essentially two bodies for one and then you can yes. go get like an Esper Sentinel or your uh, Elvish Reclaimer. Yep, I think when I go for three, like if I'm going for three or above, that's like, uh, I think, uh, yeah, Ranger Captain of Eos is just the automatic, one of the automatic choices. The two for one body with the silence effect that is just so powerful. Yep. You're just holding a gun at the table. Yeah, it just says like, well, one of you is not winning the game this turn. Well, yeah, it says nobody is going to win the game if you try to win until I untap. And if I get to untap, then I'm going to win I the win. game. Yeah. yeah. So it just it goes from such a oppressively defensive card to an oppressively offensive card in the flip of a turn. Uh, I think it's an awesome card. And it gives you a freaking one drop yep. on top of it. Yep. So you can actually go get that Esper Sentinel and just kind of yep. yeah, just, just keep generating that card value. Yeah. And that yeah, that kind of leans right into the next point is that this deck has a lot of trouble with luck, and so you have to pump in enough card draw, and that's why I'm like really I only have like one wheel in here. It's Wheel of Fortune because you can also play into your enchantment infinite loops with Underworld Breach, uh, Lion's Eye Diamond, and uh, Wheel of Fortune. So mm -hmm. uh, you can just end up wheeling the whole table and then winning the game that way too. Uh, that's an option uh, there too. I just wanted to like point that out that you know even though my mana base is is built around enchantments, it's like that's why I'm also playing Urza Saga because Urza, Urza Saga actually contributes to the Sarah Sanctum mana as well and the Sanctum Weaver mana. So, do you think it's a problem for you in this deck that you're maybe trying to do too many things and that you know you lose your focus on card draw and you know gas that could be there if you fo if you dropped out one of the elements? It's true, like. I've, I think there have been a lot of suggestions that have tried to, like, take me off the, the trail a little bit and just, like, uh, suggesting general good stuff, like Naya good stuff. Like, oh, you could be playing, you know, Blood Pod Sands Black, you know, like Rocco. You can just play, like, that the Kiki-Jiki lines. And that was not really in my interest because I definitely wanted this deck to feel like it was very much my own. Like, this is a journey. This is me pioneering a strategy that... Um, has potential like um, you know I hate you know I hate to say like oh if it had gotten to me I would have won but you know, it happens a lot with this deck and I feel like I'm just like I'm just I'm almost there so you're like, you're like Mishra like uncovering that tech yeah, yeah there's digging for it there's just a couple slots that like it depends on what comes out you know it's like w the game is constantly moving forward and so like there are just a couple cards that could be contributing to this strategy that help it like take the next step forward what well in that case then what do you think are like the three weakest cards that are just like you need a slightly better version of this and the deck can go off uh one honestly i would probably say it's like shared summons if i'm not running uh endurance because court of calling is just infinitely better you know well, like, you, that's already in the deck though yeah 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 and and so like redundancy is great shared summons doesn't necessarily get me everything i need uh if i'm not running endurance nature's lore i think we already talked about like running the the mox diamond and then i 
man, it's really hard after that because I've like thought a million times about taking Sylvan Scrying out, but I need the tutors for lands. Like I need the very specific, like being able to like go get something. Um, land tax is potentially a weak card here. Land, ca land tax is great early in the game, uh, but you're not going to get a ton of value out of it, especially with your land package. You don't have enough basics to, to make great use of it. I am playing six basics now. So okay. like, um, a little bit, yeah. because I, I bumped up the basics because I don't have the dual lands, like the real dual lands uh, for this. And uh, like the land tax on turn one to go into like a burgeoning, even if a land tax comes in later and I have one of the two options that's like trying to like create mana off of the number of enchantments I control, then it just becomes another like source of mana, okay. Uh, which is kind of like what I've, what I've been sitting on in the back of my head. I don't know if that's good enough, if it's fast enough. You know, if there's another one drop white enchantment that comes out in the future that like does something similar to Deafening Silence, uh, you know, that like creates another loop for like, or another hoop for my opponents to jump through, then I'm definitely gonna like run that stacks piece. Authority's consoles. Yeah, because land tax isn't necessarily a stacks piece. It is just a card advantage piece that puts non-essential cards from my deck into my hand it does like filter and i'm not going to pick those cards up anymore but it you know uh, the, the, the effect is so so yeah the effect is so so um i think this deck looks really good i think uh like i've seen it in every iteration and this is such a lean mean profile here um but i think there's still room to you know like i think we need to play test i think we haven't really put, tested a ton at this uh with this list yet um, and I want to see like kind of what looks good and like what feels bad. Uh, part of me is thinking like maybe you don't even need an underworld breach win. Like maybe you just put in like added redundancies for the other things you're targeting, and that might do it for you. Yeah, to me, underworld breach in this list looks just it looks like just win more. It's just like an additional thing you could be doing, whereas you could really be probably better served just doubling down on your I actual wouldn't. game plan. Yeah, yeah, there's been there's been a couple times, like a couple of suggestions where people have said I could play uh, Sabine's Reclamation instead. And that's what Underworld Breach essentially does for me is it allows me to recycle cards that are in my graveyard because that's another weakness that this style of deck has is that it just doesn't have the colors for grave recursion. So if something is used or if I need to reuse... I mean, green has great yeah. grave recursion pieces. Oh, you're putting them I back mean, in my hand. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah, I mean, you... If you care about lands, get that Balaged recovery in there. Not, you got something which is kind of like there. a free spe free space. Yeah, you yeah. have Noxious Survival in the deck. Yeah, yeah, um, Noxious Survival's in there just because it, it does stop like loops and shit. Too. Well, if that's the argument, then I would say maybe consider putting Endurance in the deck. Then it justifies your Shared, shared summons. summons we were just talking about. Um, I think that'd be good. I mean, that Endurance over Underworld Breach even is just a strict upgrade right there. And also, I do. I will say, I think Savine's Reclamation is probably better than Underworld Breach if you're not targeting that win condition and you're just like are talking about recursion. Underworld Breach is good as a combo piece. It, it is. It's, it's, I don't think it's good outside of combos. I think it can be used as a value piece more frequently than it is because people are always like, I need to win with this. Um, and it sometimes can just be like a Yogmas Will kind of effect for the turn, whatever. But uh, but I feel like you know in that that's in a deck where you want to be breaching for other reasons. One hundred percent. That's yeah. your backup plan. Yeah, I'm, and like I'd, I wouldn't include Underworld Breach in a in a deck list as purely for its backup plan. Yeah, like, you're it's not ripping through rituals. As a backup plan. Like you don't have like yeah. by the time you're casting it, like how many cards are you gonna have in your graveyard to exile? Like Grixis, my Grixis deck just like fucking rips through cards. So it's just like I have all these cards to 
to exile. Yeah, I mean, I never really take a hand that has Unroll Breach in it first. There like there have been times where I just like cringe a little bit when I pick it up on like turn two or turn three, like on my card draw, and I'm just going like, oh, it's a little too early for this, you know? And then it's just like, well, then it's either hopefully I'm drawing something that's going to like make use of it later on. I don't want to be in that position, but when it's good, it is too good. It's almost the way that I would play like Doomsday, where it's just like, I'll try this again. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm just, uh, you know, shuffling that back into the library whenever I see it in my first hand, which, you know, if it comes down to like an important mulligan, it sucks. You know, it's just, I'm going down cards because, you know, I'm running into it, but the power that it has for potential is, is really too, too great, which is why I haven't like slotted it out yet. I'm just looking at like what a Savine's Reclamation can grab you though, and like you know it does. It grabs a lot. Any of get, your creatures. You can get your any of your enchantments. You can get your Heliod yeah. plus a uh, if you get if you do the flashback Heliod plus a Destiny Spinner. If you have your uh, Walking Blister, that way well, you have an uncounterable win condition. It sets up combos like you can. So if you do Savine's Reclamation and you copy it, you know with the flashback ability, you get the Devoted Druid and you get the Swift Recon. I mean, like, food chains three CMC. I yeah, don't know how get, that doesn't convince you. Like if yeah. you if you get countered you get, and then well, you so just so food chain again. Well, so you get every permanent except for Academy Rector. Yeah, but. Then also under roll breach also gets food chain back. Yeah, but you have to have three cards to exile, and you have to spend the extra three mana. Yeah, if I'm that if I'm that late in the game though, I'm pretty sure I would have like I, you know it's not all always right. a guarantee, but all right, all right, guys. Yeah. Evan just likes this card. He wants, <laughs> I like this card. Ninety nine. He just bought yeah. an LED and he wants to justify it. I no, I didn't. I traded for that LED. Thank you. Uh, I get it. Uh, I think Savine's Reclamation might be better. Just consider. Yeah, it's sitting. It's literally sitting on my play mat at home. Like it's like the deck is there, and then Savine's Reclamation is sitting right there, just staring me in the face. I would say it's probably a top five white card. So yeah, it is. Yeah, it's great. It's undervalued currently. You're playing. I think probably the other top four white cards. So (laughs) might be worth the consideration. (laughs) Maybe the consideration's worth it. Well, um, sweet. Well, any other packages we're talking about, Evan? You got your stacks package. I will say one thing: Smothering Tithe is in this deck, and because sometimes you just mid range, like we were talking. Yeah. Smothering Tithe plus Zakama is just an absolute mid range nightmare. Sometimes. Well, there's just been times where it's like it comes out on turn one. Like there are there is the potential for that with this deck, you know. Um, so it comes out on turn one or turn two, and then you're sitting there, and at that point, no one has enough mana, or they're not willing to denote the amount that amount of mana to like slowing you down and it just opens up like like if you're able to get that smothering tide out there's like there's red le blast and there's power blast in here so you're actually potentially opening up uh ways for me to interact or getting that interaction after you tap out yeah exactly yeah Yeah. with that yeah Yeah. also you know if you have that mana early what this deck wants to do this deck wants to win but you kind of lose time interacting with your opponent so if you don't need to interact Mm -hmm. and waste turns doing that the deck can just win Mm -hmm. like so that extra mana is super important to you yep yeah sitting on that it's just like yeah i'm not like getting those treasures don't contribute to me like untapping but they do contribute to like uh the value of the rest of the cards they allow me to like just push the strategy into like i don't know just shoot off the ground just like launch or your opponents have a chance to interact Yeah. yeah yeah exactly so I, I do love this deck. This is like a deck that um, I've won a surprising number of games with. So you, it's something that I guess when we talk about like efficiency and refining decks that you ultimately have to cut away the fat, the fun cards, like things that uh, don't necessarily contribute to a, a super refined uh, game plan or win condition. And the last cut is Zakama. Like the last cut, because there's a clear front runner <laughs> for a better commander, and it's Rocco. So I tried it. Like it just wasn't it wasn't the deck that I wanted it's to build. Your style. 
Yeah, it wasn't my style. Scott so was your boy. It's like, I, I really want this deck to work. I'm willing to put in the work to make it work. Well, there's two things that work there. You know, people play better when they play the cards that they like. Mm -hmm. So yeah. you're going to play this deck better with Sakama as the commander than you will as Rocco. Just purely you are more invested in making it work. Yeah. And then the other thing is it's unexpected. So your opponents would know how to play against Rocco. Even if they figure out a little bit of the game plan here against Zakama, they don't know what you're actually going to do. They they don't have a good guess to like what you know, 99% of that 99 is. Also, your timing. They don't know when you're going to try and go up. Yep. Because, like, I yep. think Rocco does suffer a little bit from the stick fingers effect, where people are counting your mana the whole time, where you're like, oh, if he untaps with five mana, then he just wins the game. So we got to make sure he doesn't do that. And it's pretty easy to tell if you're about to do that. So, like, if instead you're casting Zakama, or you have, like, all these different abilities and different cards that, like, let you kind of eke out an advantage into the mid game, then it's just, it's really hard to know when you start interacting. Yeah, it, it really does have a lot of... Uh, hard pieces to interact with because the land package is my win condition so uh everyone's playing you know not non-land permanent removal or whatever bouncing things like that hell yeah it's indestructible the, yeah yeah indestructible so it's like these like interaction like the i guess what i'm trying to create is a room uh, um, an amount of room where it's hard to interact mm -hmm. like with this like the win conditions are just unconventional enough where you don't know where to stick your fingers and you don't know where to like stop it and it honestly, you're probably just going to want to stop it at the food chain point. And because if I generate infinite mana, it's like, okay, I just drew my whole library. Like that's, that's ultimately what the deck does. Uh, just one fun thing I just realized is if you're going off with infinite mana with the food chain, you filter everything with Sakama and you can activate and you have Heliod, but you don't have Ballista, you can just activate Sakama to gain life infinitely, putting plus one plus one counters every time on a creature. Yeah. Or destroyed all everybody else's creatures. So you just start one shotting the table. Yep. Yeah. 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 You can make Sakama infinitely big That's with so Heliod. Funny. Yeah. I love that. Now, this deck. Uh if you guys want to check out the list, it is on Moxfield. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll link that down below. Yeah, we'll put that in the description below. It's called Zakama Top of the Food Chain for a reason. I think that uh, it's one of the more unexpected food chain outlets because it doesn't necessarily say that it wins the game with food chain on the card. But No. I mean, it took us a long time to figure out the fact that it even did do that. Yeah, it was just like, I can't even tell you the amount of people that took a look at this deck list when I was building it the first time going to Marchesa and not a single person mentioned food chain and now that we have now that we've seen it it is infinitely better. Oh, I think still a lot of people are not going to be expecting food chain out the gate with this. Yeah, I mean, what that that one game we played on the play to win server. As soon as I cast a wheel of fortune, I discarded my hand. The whole the whole server just kind of went. Uh, I well, can I see your list? Because uh, those cards that you discarded make me pretty curious about what's what the hell is going on here. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, the deck is is unique in its own right, and that's ultimately what I'm like going to hang my hat on at the end of the day. Is like make this the best it can be. Hopefully I win some games. Hopefully the, the win percentage is, is decent enough for me to continue playing it. And uh, if not, I will be very patient and I'll be waiting for more cards to help this exactly. to help make it stronger. Yeah, and I will say even if it's not there yet, if it's not, you know, to its final tuned like God mode like deck list, every time I sit down at the table against this, I know I'm in for some bullshit. And I know that you're a threat the whole time. Yeah. And yeah. and the other part of that, too, is not just that you're a threat. A lot of the times we'll be sitting there in the game and another player becomes the threat. And people look at this deck to be like, well, can you interact? Can, can you stop this other person from winning? 
and we'll deal with you later. So, yeah. you know, there's a lot of power there already. It does happen a lot where people will be trading blows and they just don't expect this to like come out on top or they don't expect like what's going to happen the next turn. So um, that is definitely one of the things like flying under the radar. We've seen a lot of decks just sit at the top table lately because they're running strategies that either old or you don't quite know where to interact or you don't quite see what's going to happen until it's too late. And that's kind of the, you know, the idea here too. Mm -hmm. I think there's a comment has a certain inevitability too. Like worst case scenario, if you just get into the mid game, there's a chance you just cast Zakama and then people have to deal with that. People are yeah, going to like force a will it. People are going to like do everything they yeah. can just to make that, like not make sure it doesn't hit the board because when it untaps, like the, I mean, the idea behind it is that you spent nine mana to get it, you're going to have yeah. nine mana in return when it hits the battlefield. Yep, and then you just untap and blast some stuff and buy yourself another yep. turn, and then you start blasting more start stuff. Start buying more and, turns. And then it's just, that's it. Sometimes like, it just grinds you out of the mid-game if you're, like, stacked up anyway. Yeah, yeah you, can, you can play better if you don't feel like you need to win right this second. Mm -hmm. Like, if you yep. know you're going to win eventually as long as no one else wins first, yeah. you can just play the game and do what you have to do in the moment. <laughs> yeah. 100%. I've seen you win turn 2 or turn 10, you know? Like, this deck yep. just kind of keeps... Like I said, it's inevitable. It feels inevitable sometimes. It, yeah, it definitely has the... Uh, like, it doesn't feel like it ever runs out of gas. Yeah. Yeah, it is always a, either a very explosive or it just constantly churns. Awesome, so. dude. Well, uh, you got any other notes you want to throw out here? Ooh. I mean, I know you could talk for endless hours, but uh, <sighs> we do have to get home soon. Yeah, not really. I'm pretty I'm pretty gassed out on it. I do, like, yeah, I, all I got to say is I absolutely love this deck. It's an awesome deck. I yeah. love looking at it. I love like, kind of seeing the progress, you know, like we've been... I've been playing my deck for a long time at this point. You've been playing your deck for a long time at this point, yeah. but they've been—they look polar opposite or completely different from when we started. It's funny that this is the one that I've like stuck to. I'm so excited, like when I'm when this is finished, to start looking at like other options. Everything that I've learned from building this deck and how I've developed as a player and evolved as a player and seen different strategies. What is the next deck? Like that's kind of actually what I'm looking at yeah. now is like I'm starting to get excited for brewing because now I have a different perspective. And I, I, I took this deck and like with everyone's help, with everyone that has like contributed to this, found a way to make it my own. And now I'm excited to do that with another commander. May, it may just be just as unconventional as Zakama. Like I really want to make Jod's the Oracle of Arcavios. Yeah, let's go. So, you know, it's like crazy shit like that. So that that's ultimately what I've learned from this deck. It's just, it just made me a better player in my own way. Love that. Yeah. Well, stay tuned for uh, some tournament results. Evan's going to be taking us to a tournament in two weeks. I'm going to be right there yeah, with them. Posting like a 7-0 record with this. I, I love to see it. Let's do it. <laughs> Stay tuned, guys. Thanks for uh, tuning to the Mock Stars podcast. We got uh, all of our socials linked down below. Hit that link tree, like and subscribe, follow us. We got a podcast coming out every Friday, and we got some uh, some new stuff in the works. Stay tuned. Awesome. Thank you, guys. All right, guys. Bye. Peace out.